Welcome to the Inside World Festival of Interiors podcast. This series features live recordings from the annual festival, where designers, architects and commentators discuss the latest trends, challenges and most inspiring interior projects from the last year. Make sure you subscribe to always receive the latest episode and the follow us on Instagram at Inside World Fest. Hello everyone. So this is the last talk today on uh, fluidity in a digital age. We've had some extremely fluid talks uh, and uh, quite controversial as well. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Joyce Wang, who actually was a student at the Royal College of Art when I was directing the architecture program. And uh, I think we always had a very fluid attitude to what was an interior and what was a work of architecture, you know, from the teacup to the town was very much part of the thinking there. And uh, Joyce graduated uh, um, with a very strong degree and then decided to go to Hong Kong to uh, set her knowledge to work. And in fact, in 2014, one of her projects, a project that I believe we're going to hear about today, won the overall category of the inside um, uh, winning projects. And, uh, well, I'm sure we'll hear whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, so you, but I hope the former. Um, I think she's got a kind of... Uh, opium den style, but we can come back to that later. <laughs> so please welcome Joyce Wang. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. I'm just going to sit down and uh, make myself comfortable. We were meant to have another speaker, um, but she couldn't make it today. So you're stuck with me and Nigel. Um, So I'm here to speak to you today about adapting the existing. Um, in the context of um, one of our projects, which won the World Interior Award uh, two years ago, Ammo Restaurant and Bar, the existing to me is always an exciting thing, like unearthing history. Um, you have to remember, in cities like Hong Kong, where Ammo is based, to have an existing to work with is actually a privilege. So, an existing to me is like a juicy burger. For me, it's about going through that personal journey of interpreting what the existing means and represents for you and finding that aha moment for yourself. And then how you might want to reformat and repackage that existing and make it meaningful for yourself, but also for others, whether it's the restaurant goer, the owner themselves, or the operator. And finally, elevating that existing so that the others are able to appreciate its beauty and still through a modern lens. The existing of Ammo for me as an interior designer was... I realize... <laughs> My slides weren't moving. Okay. Okay, we're back. The existing of Ammo for me was an interior designer was threefold. And I want to share with you how that vision came about so that the history of it could still be seen through a modern lens. One, its past story, 
its new architecture, which would eventually house ammo, and finally, its context, the jungle. So seeing these photos of Amal's old site was that juicy burger for me. Um, the site was home to an ammunition storage facility built by the British Army in the mid-19th century. In the photos, you see the tracks. Um, on the image on the right and on the left, you, both, you see tracks. Um, and these were the tracks which transported carriages of ammunition down towards the Hong Kong Harbor. These structures were the terminals of the tracks, and the carriages of ammunition were unloaded here. The movement of ammunition on these tracks created sparks of fire, noises of metal against metal, and rhythm of metallic sights and sounds, you can imagine. And that was what got me really excited about the history and the existing. Additionally, we started to think about the aesthetics of ammunition. Metallic, shiny, hollow, and copper, and how they can be translated into modules within the interior. I tapped into the collection of copper fitting pipes, connectors, and flanges just down the street from our Wan Chai studio in Hong Kong. The copper not only referenced that metallic rhythm, it also helped us create a language of luxury for this project. This is a storyboard of how we wanted that interior to unfold, detail by detail, composed of these copper elements. The scene where someone sits at the bar, onto the scene where a tabletop could be lit, the detailing of how a staircase chandelier could be come together, all composed by these different elements. And then how these modules were put together to create light fixtures, furniture, and detailing throughout. Everything in the interior was custom made other than the light bulbs. A detail of that chandelier featured in the restaurant. Again, it was about creating that movement, but with very still interventions. An interior, you can say, with explosive qualities that sparks your imagination. The second component of the existing the architecture created by famed architects Todd Williams and Billy Tian, whose scheme composed of a series of built structures, main building all the way to the left at the bottom of the slope, the offices where you see um, the smaller gridded structure, the labs, the magazine storage facility, which are the two buildings with the thickest, thicker walls towards the back of the plan. So all of these structures rested on a slope within this Jurassic jungle of Hong Kong. And ammo is positioned on the very bottom building that you see here at the, at the lower end of the slope. As the site is on a slope, the carriages of ammunition travel down the tracks adjacent to ammo towards the harbor to be picked up by ships to further destinations. So you can see through time how the site has changed. Um, in the 1900s to year 2000, the site was actually left vacant and the government um, weren't able to do much with it because there was so much restriction on the heritage of the site. Um, there was very stringent laws um, to developers of what they could do. So the site was deemed very unattractive. Um, and then in year 2010, you can see a horizontal structure jutting out and this is Todd Williams and Billy Tien's scheme.
today, cultural program in the theater and exhibition center in the space above, along with Amo restaurant in the space below, breathes new life into the site. I looked at the architecture as, as an inspiration of the existing as well. The architect elevates you on a footbridge, taking you on a journey over the existing history and jungle. The architecture to me is at once poetic, dynamic, and it was borderline sci-fi. UFO lighting chandeliers and explosion of copper pipes on the back wall responds to that sci-fi quality and extends that journey into the interior. It was important for me that Amo exuded a sense of surrealism, making it difficult to place in time. Some people say Art Deco, some people say Opium Den, <laughs> some say retro mid-century, some say futuristic. Going from a futurism offered by architecture, the last and final piece of the existing was the prehistoric territory of the landscape. The Jurassic jungle, the final existing element inherent to the side of ammo that was like the crunchy lettuce in my burger. So Hong Kong's pretty much all of, all of this jungle, and it's very rare to find a space that interacts with that environment. You're mostly in a building, and it feels very inward-looking, and I think with Amo, because it is in a glass box, and it has views towards this jungle, it was an opportunity to really embrace that. The different patinas of copper as it oxidizes is uncannily similar to foliage experiencing different seasons. The interior as such welcomes the outside foliage in, blurring the boundaries of inside and outside. You can see the colors of the different stages of copper's patination expressed in this sketch, and how it's really bled from interior wall finishes to the millwork to the furniture and then to the rugs and light fittings. And here, seeing the space itself taking up the colors of the exterior. Finally, I want to share with you a video we created to capture that explosive quality and metallic sounds of ammo. I think the video is um, an element that we've started to do for quite a few of our projects once they're completed. We find that through photography. Oh, here we go.
Thank you. <laughs> Very good. Cool. You managed to find the only bit of jungle that's left yeah, in Hokkaido. No, absolutely. <laughs> is it full of creatures? It is. I've seen things rustle through that many times at night. And we actually installed a spotlight to light up that jungle from inside the restaurant. And as you well. can actually walk into it, or is it is it so it's a garden really? You can walk into it, but I'm not sure if you want to. It's it feels Why? pretty wild. Um, what sort of creatures might be, might you come across in there? You find um, wild boar. What is that tiny bit of jungle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The odd wild boar, um, snakes, um, probably pretty awful spiders and stuff. Yeah. And insects of all kinds, yeah. butterflies. Insects of all kinds. I haven't seen butterflies. Big That's things probably. that eat other things. Yeah. Well, I tell you why I'm kind of harping on about that a bit. The, um, I'm fascinated by the lamps because they're like kind of imaginary stairs. They're sort of acrobatic structures. You expect a kind of burlesque figure to come down. Could you tell us a little bit more about why uh, that particular imagery and form, which is a bit insect-like, it's a bit staircase-like, it's a kind of mutation, but I'd love you to tell us yeah, more about the, those. The staircase was probably, I didn't actually go into that at all, but it was probably the most important device um, to, to draw people's gazes up to the really high ceiling that you we mean inherited. The pretend staircase. You the, pretend, the pretend staircase, the light yes. fixture. Um, it was important for me because. In Hong Kong, we walk around with our phones and we look down, and it's not very often that you get the chance to kind of look up and, and appreciate your surroundings. And I found the idea of a staircase did that more than anything else. And so, so that was one of them, but there yeah. were two others. There was so two others. So it's a deconstructed staircase. So one actually is a tread. Um, it's all the treads done with a metal mesh connected by the copper pipes. The other one are the risers, and the last one was the balustrades. So it's okay. an explosion of um, a staircase done in three different ways. So it's ways. a sculptural piece, It's really. a sculptural piece. And sculptural does that lighting. relate to the narrative of the ammunition storage space, and, or, or is, it, uh, is it more sort of Alice in Wonderland kind uh, of signs it, of leading somewhere else, or what? I think it related to my, my own personal imagined history of the space. Um, the bunkers were, and the storage, ammunition storage facilities, they had very high ceilings, um, and that was the way I'd imagine people would, would have accessed the storage through, you know, very kind of um, temperamental looking staircase. Um, something well, that looked quite beautiful, fragile. Beautiful yeah. idea. I mean, it must be a very rare privilege not only to work with something that in a place that has a history and a place that has vegetation around it, but also has high ceilings. I can yeah. imagine that is quite a rarity. Definitely, yeah. The, the high ceilings, when, we first, when I first saw the site, um, it was the first thing I wanted to preserve, actually. I mean, talking about existing, you know, people think existing as hundreds of years ago when it comes to doing projects in the UK or in Europe. In Hong Kong, the existing 
can well, it's be yesterday. More, it's more like archaeology in, yeah. in Europe, isn't it? Yeah. Is when you discover that there was a Roman building underneath something that was then, or maybe this city has kind of those echoes that are similar to the echoing going on in your project. I mean, in, the, in Asia, generally speaking, things have been demolished and rebuilt much more rapidly than, than in Europe. And do you find that there's a kind of readiness and, a, and a, 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 is it appreciated, the idea that the, there is value in having resonance from the past? Or is there kind of more of the attitude that everything should signify the future and kind of be in the, rooted in the present? I think that's a really good question. I think more and more people value history and spending the money to preserve it. Um, we did a show flat, um, which is a, a phenomenon in Hong Kong. Um, developers de create homes to, to sell even more homes. And in this show flat, when we worked with a client, it's a completely new space. We wanted to use um, mid-century furniture and, and old inherited furniture. And there were, they had an issue with that because it was old. Um, so I think we're slowly coming to terms with that. It's not a fully accepted norm. So it's radical. In Hong Kong, it's radical to put old things in a space. Absolutely. I, Whereas, I would say so. <laughs> and I don't know if you agree with me, audience, but uh, certainly in London, the majority of kind of co-working spaces, which you know are super contemporary in terms of the the sorts of uh, work being done in them are usually kitted out with old furniture bought on eBay. Yeah. Like old kind of beaten up leather chairs and old phone boxes and just very much a retro feel. Yeah. I think especially with luxury homes, uh, everything's got to be Everything's got to be new. Everything's got to be new and shiny, probably a yeah. bit shiny. Shiny, <laughs> hopefully limited edition, limited production, imported from somewhere, and yes, yeah. But you're kind of you're you're cutting apart. No, no, stay where you are. I'm just going to kind of go over there and try to <laughs> engage with the audience. But um, you're cutting a path, aren't you? Because you've got you look on your website, and I suggest you all look on. Joyce's website. It's quite remarkable how much stuff you've done and how much you're able to adhere to a sort of, to the condition, you know, to interiors and actually say, this is what we do. And if you look at these projects, and there are kind of seven or eight of them on the website that have quite a similar mood, they have this kind of resonance of other spaces and other places. They're slightly fantastical. They're slightly movie set-like. Um, and they're very richly crafted. Questions? Good. I didn't even have to ask. <laughs> Hi. Um, Hi. Love the project. It's really interesting. And I, I wondered if I might um, build on what we were just talking about, um, old things, uh, found materials, things of that nature. And I'm thinking particularly of the uh, relief behind the bar, the kind of the explosion that I think is made with... Um, copper pipes. Copper pipes. I think that was really nice. And I, I wondered if you might expand on uh, sort of the evolution of that idea and 
um, you know, was it a budgetary um, thing that you know we, you know, the, the sort of the, you <laughs> yeah. know, the found yeah. uh, the found material, where you know, it, it might in other circumstances be um, a surface that you, you know you might commission to an artist or something. But yeah, I wonder if you might just talk about sort of how that came about. Sure. I think copper pipes to me are—they're uh, kind of two-faced. Um, from one end, all plumbers use them, and they're an everyday object. Um, they're always actually hidden behind walls and plastered behind, and nobody really sees them. On the other hand, when they are exposed and they when they are um, used in a different way, uh, in a different context, they can appear to be very luxurious. Um, so I think. When the brief came to us to design a museum cafe, essentially, for the Asia Society in Hong Kong, um, they wanted something that fe felt like luxury. And I think... And copper's expensive, by the way. Copper's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, they wanted something very luxury, but at the same time, I didn't want it to be um, a traditional sense of luxury. It was important for it to have, still have a street vibe to it um, and that it could connect to the urban fabric um, that it could connect to people walking on the street and seeing something as very, being very ordinary um, and giving it a new face what about the the geometry of it was that invented by you I mean, you, I think you, because, you drew it, presumably, yeah. and somebody else made it. I mean, it. The, the staircases are, are spiraling. The, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of curvy banquettes, and, and all the chairs are sort of rounded, and the copper pipes take a curve and a radius. We were given a glass box, and I think everything that we did in the space veered away from that. It was... We, we didn't want to work with the hard edges of the geometry. We wanted to curve and build a rhythm into the space that was different to what we were given. So there was a gentle sense of movement yeah. given by the elements and the treatment of the space. Another question. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I was two years ago uh, in Singapore when you made your presentation over the project. You, you didn't finish on time. The presentation, it was cut I think in half. You were explaining how much you were um, inspired by the by by a mo some movie yes. uh, scenes? I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you have created is re really amazing. I'm, uh, I must congratulate Thank you. you. Uh, I'm wondering about uh, the the theme of the presentation, adapting the existing, because I have the feel that you really have created a a, a set mm. uh, like a movie, mm. basically. And which part is what did did you reuse, or were you able to? Uh, to get inspiration from the architecture, the, the, the existing architecture, not the new one, and, and you know, making the link with the, with the, with the, um, uh, the purpose of, the, of this uh, presentation, the adapting the existing. This, uh, this I'm wondering where it links to that. Yeah, um, I think the difficulty with the topic was we were actually given a new, a new building, um, but the site was, had its heritage, if you will, um, that we needed to respect. So. If we go back to maybe the, the photographs, um, a lot of people don't know this, but the restaurant um, ceiling is completely soft on top. There's a mirror portion to it, but on the edges where it, um, where it curves on four sides, it's, act it's actually clad with fabric, um, and there's foam behind it. So it's the only soft um, 
thing in the, um, in the whole space. And when we looked at the section through the magazine storage facilities, um, it was that curve and that idea of, of creating a, a covered ceiling um, that I really wanted to bring into the space. Um, and I think the mesh and, and the copper and the, almost the rickety staircase, um, there's a temporal nature to them. Um, it's almost like accessing, um, you know, like a worker's station where people used to make um, and store ammunition away. Um, I, I didn't imagine those areas to have the most sturdy um, of equipment. Um, when we saw the images of what was left behind, there was a lot of um, rail, um, the tracks that I mentioned on the ground, and I think the curvature of those, they, they celebrated them um, for the architect. Um, and those curves are something that I was really keen to keep, and hence some of the staircases and, and um, the back wall. And the back wall is also an abstracted plan of a staircase. So we wanted to keep that theme um, going on throughout. The, I'm just looking at that image now for the second time today. Is it right that all the tables are with high, with high, ch the chairs are all stools? Actually, is that, is, is that the case or is the bar higher than the ones in the foreground? That's a good observation. So there's actually four different kinds of seating levels in this 1,200 square foot space. The bar seating um, is at 1 meter 10 counter height. Um, the tables that you see in the middle, um, the tables are 90 centimeters high, um, and they, they can be placed together for events. Um, the banquettes that you see, the tops of them, the, the green velvet, um, those are coffee table height um, dining tables, so they feel more loungy, and you can look out. Um, that's the view towards the jungle. Um, and then to the right, where you don't see, that's dining height tables that can be pulled together for a traditional dining. So why, why did yeah. you have so many? Why did you have so many high? What was the idea in terms of the functioning of the restaurant and the kind of atmosphere to have so many high-level tables? Which, I mean, presumably all the chairs are all different heights. <laughs> They're all different heights. So, because it is a glass box, and because you see everyone in and around you. It was important to create a privacy, but from an elevation level. So if you're sat by the banquettes, you should be able to feel private because you're the only people at that level. Um, and if you sat in the middle, you should feel like you own that immediate space around you because there's nobody else at that level. So given a very, a very small glass box, um, that you know when you go in there, you feel very exposed. Um, the different levels really help give you that privacy. Well, they're, they're, presumably the people in the center have a sense of observing yeah. everything that goes on around. Which are the most popular tables? Can you tell us that? It depends who you are. Where does everybody scramble for? <laughs> <laughs> if you're one of the Thai Thais in Hong Kong who take tea with their friends and coffee in the afternoon. That's the ladies. The ladies. Mm. Um, they sit at the banquettes overlooking the greenery. Right. If you're coming on the sides. Yeah. If you're coming in as an expat with a group of friends um, and you want, you know, drinks, you want a, probably a longer night, you'll probably take the two center tables. Um, they can Because they want everyone to see them. Yeah. Exactly. Uh -huh. And uh, what are the secret lovers? 
Secret lovers, um, probably one of the dining tables to the side. Um, they feel the most sort of covered and shielded. Um, you're not exposed. You're not. You don't. You're not next to this. Um, the jungle, but you, it feels a bit more. You feel a bit less vulnerable on that side. Okay. We're getting more and more involved in how this place works. <laughs> Anybody got any more questions? Anyone want to know about the kitchens? Or what comes out of the kitchens? <laughs> <laughs> any more questions? Or shall I just keep rabbiting on? <laughs> well, I do want to know what's on the menu. Are there any grilled locusts? There are no grilled locusts, but there's Spanish Mediterranean tapas. So it's a sort of a loose interpretation of la tapas. Um, they'll treat the food in uh, mixed kind of um, fusion, fusion ways. Um, Does it ever make any reference to the ammo on the menu? Does it make reference? In other words, is the, is the menu and the graphics and all the bits that we can't see yeah. here the cutlery and the is does the story go all the way through and has your client actually been able to continue the story and connect it to to the experience i would say they probably have a stronger cocktail menu than a food menu um they are more experimental with the cocktails and they do try to tie the theme of you know, the, the explosions, explosions and, and cocktails. different cocktails and things like that. In terms of the food, it, it is a bit more conservative. But yeah. sort of Euro kind of sharing, yeah, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you can have, it feels like high tea at four o'clock. So where do you feel your work is going to carry you in the future? I mean, you, you've, 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 you've done a lot of interior work. It's possible to do a whole Joyce Wang tour of Hong Kong, I imagine. <laughs> um. Um, it's funny you said film set. I, I've always loved film. Um, if anything, I'd imagine going deeper into that, whether it's drawing references from a film or um, thinking of the ways that a director puts a film together and applying that to an interior um, I've always found that really interesting. Of course, it really would be fantastic to do both, to avoid, you know, films to be made in your interiors, which yeah. sort of reminds me of the Alphaville reference, which if any of you know that film, the Jean-Luc Godard film, he created uh, an extraordinary dystopic world uh, populated by kind of automaton people who were not allowed to kind of utter the word love. And uh, he succeeded in using kind of classic buildings in Paris, shot at night to, to suggest um, a very oppressive regime. But I mean, in terms of the capture of existing, the, 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 without trying to disguise those buildings, but just suggesting that they had uh, a different life uh, role in a society to play. Actually, it was the staircase in that film. Um, whilst I was designing the interior, I happened to be watching that film. Um, and it was the scenes that evolved around that very famous spiraling staircase that really caught me because uh, Lenny Caution and, and his, 
his lover, you know, they were trying to run away from, from the people who were trying to rule them. And there were these scenes set around just one staircase and you can feel the emotions around it because you see one person being chased, you see a glimpse of them on top, but then there's a person waiting downstairs for them. So that kind of tension of what's above the staircase and what's below and not being able to see, that really made me think, you know, it'd be amazing to, to have that same tension in, in this space. But if I hadn't told you that, it's something that you'd probably never get. But, yes, but you, know, you, know, you might not know. With an interior like this, you don't necessarily have to explain it no. to the visitors. And surely that's the point of it that it just hints and they can sort of fill in and make their um, co the connections and almost weave it into a story of their own. Exactly, so a, a good interior for me is like a good film. You're meant to be able to tease out details from it, but not everything the first time you, you go there or you watch that film. Um, like The Shining, you can interpret it 50 million different ways and, and tease out different clues of what the political messages and what um, what the storyline is actually after. So that there's a there's a lot of depth I think within films that we can learn from from interiors that gets me really excited. And do you think that's do you think that applies particularly to interiors as opposed to architecture? I worked for Norman Foster for a year and. I think because interiors are exactly that, they're designing from inside out, and you're looking at the materials that you touch and you feel and, and you can control almost um, what a person experiences within their immediate surrounding. Um, that's how it feels like, that's how it feels that you can have that control from an experiential point of view. Um, with architecture, I, I guess it depends on control. But you yeah. know, but you've also suggested. You, I mean, there is control, but there's also lack of control. You know, to spin off in imaginative mm. directions. But I, I understand. I mean, of course, um, cities can also be experiential, but not necessarily because of single buildings. But it's more the collection of buildings that yep. creates an external interior, if mm. there were such a thing. Mm. Has anyone else got any questions or comments about the whole business of interiors vis-a-vis -vis architecture? Are there any interior designers specifically in the room? Or are you couple? Rest of you are architects? Any architects? <laughs> okay, a few more. But anyway, I'm sure we're all interested in it. Anyway, thank you very much, thank Joyce. You. You've given us great insight into a beautiful project. Thank you, Ron.